Hi, my name is Paul Caroli, and I host a podcast called Changing Denver. It's a monthly show about our city's physical spaces, how we make them, and how they make us. But it's so much more than that. It's the conversations, ideas, and stories that define Denver's perpetual state of flux. Find more from our team at changingdenver.com and join the conversation on Twitter at Changing Denver. Denver's changing. We can help. The John of All Trades podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we, we speak. speak. You have all made it to the dance. You have all made it, made it, Coming to you from the X-Access, it's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to John's Audio Resume, Volume 1. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And yes, this is the start of my brand new series, John's Audio Resume, where I take you through every job that I've had in my career, and I give you insights, lessons learned, and weird stuff from along the way. And... I cannot think of a better way to start than with my very first job. I had this job from May to August of 1998, and I worked in the bindery of a printing company. Now, I wrote this on Facebook on Monday, but when I told one of my friends, my friend Brett, about this job, we were driving down to Durango. I said, yeah, I used to work in the bindery of a printing company. He goes, bindery? That doesn't sound real. And I go, what do you mean it doesn't sound real? It is real. It was my first job. I worked in the bindery of a printing company. He goes, I know, but it just doesn't sound real. And I go, what doesn't sound real about it? And we went back and forth doing this whole Abbott and Costello thing for like 20 minutes. My best friend Jason was in the back, and he said it was one of the funniest exchanges he's ever heard. I should have just had the thing rolling back then, and I wouldn't have to do this episode now on a Monday night. After putting my kids to bed. But such is life. Such is the way of things. The reason I'm doing this series. Picked up this big subcontracting gig. It's about 25 hours a week. And that puts me in an office. For a good chunk of the week. Where most of my day used to be pretty much unstructured. I'd just get work done. Now I'm in an office. Like 6 hours a day. 6 plus hours a day. 4 days a week at least. And then I have my other client work. That I try and fit in. At other times of the day and largely sort of after the kids go to bed and then I'm parenting. So scheduling interviews, pretty much impossible, especially if I want to maintain my role as a father and my role as a husband and keep this house going. So we're doing this series, John's Audio Resume, Volume 1. Now, worker in a bindery. You might ask yourself why a 16-year-old kid, a well-to-do 16-year-old kid, I mean, I came... From a nice house and nice neighborhood, I had a solid upbringing. We were firmly, I would call us, upper middle class. What am I doing working in a factory during the summer? Well, the family that we spent the holidays with every year, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, the Walkers. Marty Walker was one of the owners of what was called Mountain West Printing Company. I don't know if they're still around anymore. I haven't looked. I probably should have. But I haven't. Marty passed away in 2008. Uh, We're still close with his family. We still spend the holidays with them. 
but Marty, unfortunately, is no longer with us. But when I was 16, I needed to get a job. And I'd had some gigs. You know, I'd done babysitting, and I'd picked up money raking leaves and shoveling snow and stuff like that. But nothing where I was like a W-2 salaried or hourly employee. I, was, I certainly wasn't salaried here. And I think I made like six fifty an hour. But it was guaranteed 40 hours a week. And because I was not 18, I was not allowed to work overtime. Which, came to find out, was both a blessing and a curse... Because the blessing part was that meant I didn't have to work more than 40 hours at this terrible job, which we'll get into here in a minute. But the people who worked there full time made time and a half for overtime, and that's where they largely made their money. Which certainly speaks to the grind of a blue collar hourly existence. And I feel for them because that job was not easy. And while it was tough and demanding physically, it certainly was not mentally stimulating, which also takes a toll on you. It grinds you down. It is very, very tough. So, Marty owned Mountain West Printing Company. The sort of entry point into that company, no matter who you were, was through the bindery. And I came to find out once I got hired, and I was supposed to work there with my friend Mike. But Mike had a more traditional sort of teenager view of how employment went because he had worked at like movie theaters and stuff and so he thought the schedule would vary and I told him we could drive together but he thought we might be working different hours no this was a factory there were two shifts you could either work from 6 a.m to 2 p.m or 2 p.m to midnight so the 6 a.m to 2 p.m shift was five days a week or the 2 p.m to midnight shift was Monday through Thursday and given that I was a teenager and I hated waking up, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to do the 2 p.m. to midnight shift. And I thought that was better. But, okay, so anyway, I'm getting off track. Let me go back. <laughs> so, Marty had an opening in the bindery. My dad thought I should apply. He said, it'd be a great experience for you. It's guaranteed money, guaranteed hours. You know, you'll get a taste of sort of what the working world is like, et cetera, et cetera. And I loved Marty. Marty, to me, was more like an uncle. I mean, he and my dad were best friends for years upon years. And so I thought, this will be great. You know, I'll go in, I'll figure it out, it'll be work, whatever. And so being a teenager, I thought, okay, I would much rather do 2 p.m. to midnight, four days a week. That'll be a much preferable shift. But naturally, that's not where they started me. My very first week, and I think I worked this shift for either one week or two weeks. I can't remember now. But I worked the 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. shift, <laughs> which meant I was like 30 or 40 minutes away from this job. I lived up in Genesee. Those of you who know the Denver metro area, I lived up in Genesee. And Mountain West Printing was down at like Alameda and I-25. So it took me a little while to get there. Which meant I woke up at like 5 or 5.15 to get there by 6. Which made me feel like I was going to die. Literally, I'd wake up, my alarm would go off, and I'd go, Oh my god, I might die. And my very first day there, I remember driving in, and I met my supervisor, a guy named Mark. He was a nice guy. He was kind of a dorky, just middle-aged white guy. And I, from what I understand, I think he's running the bindery now. I... Of course, I haven't talked to him or anyone from there in more than in almost a decade since Marty passed in 2008. 
But he showed me what we were doing. And our very first job was this like travel magazine for the Four Corners area of Colorado. And we were on the perfect binder. Now, a quick sort of lesson in binding 101. There are a number of different machines that you use. One of them is the perfect binder. And that is anything that has like uh, an edge on it that, that's not like – that doesn't meet at like an apex. So think like Playboy magazine or like National Geographic. One of those magazines with like – you know, you can count like three sides. Like Maxim was like that. I mean, of course, all I know are stupid like men's magazines. FHM was like that. Those are all perfect bind or perfect bound. And so we're on the perfect binder. I'll get into the other ones here in a minute. And my job is to load the various pages that have been printed into the pockets. And it's a lot like the old Ed Sullivan show where the guy like puts plates on the end of a pole and spins them. And then he tries to keep them all spinning and he'll go back and forth between each plate. And I'll go over here and that one's about to fall and I'll spin that one and then run to the other end and spin that one. So you have to keep the pockets loaded because the machine needs to keep running. And it's very stressful. Like, no joke, it is really, really stressful keeping this going when you've never done it before. And you've got all these people who've worked in the factory for months or even years who can do this in their sleep at this point. I'm 16 years old. I've never had a job in my life. And all of a sudden, I have to pick up these big reams of paper, put them into the into these pockets, and you have to do it a very specific way, and you have to make sure they're loaded correctly, and there's like a precision element to it. And so you're keeping your eye on it. You got this pocket, you got this pocket, you got this one. And it's easy to get yourself sort of worked up into a tizzy over it. And I thought I had a good rhythm going. I'm like, okay, I think I've got this figured out. I, I haven't had the machine break down here in a little while. It's okay because the machine was stopping constantly because I wasn't loading this shit correctly because of course I wasn't. I'm 16 years old for God's sakes. And I look up at the clock. And I swear to God, this is true. I'm like, okay, so I've been at this for what? Like an hour and a half, maybe two hours. Literally, 16 minutes had passed. I go, holy shit, this is going to be a long day. Wow, this is going to be a very, very long day. And it was. It was a long, long day. And I remember thinking, like, we got to lunch and the roach coach pulled up from, you know, outside and I got like this really like shitty tasting hamburger. The food truck scene in 1998 is not what it is in 2017. I can tell you that. And so I bought this hamburger. And what was nice about this place was they actually paid our breaks. So you worked eight hours, but they paid your breaks, which not every place did that. And I came to learn later that that was a big deal. And that's one of the things that people liked about working there. We did the perfect binder for a while. And then the, we had like this other machine. It was like uh, a cutter, I think, where I had to load like the finished product in there and it would like trim the edges and then someone was at the other end catching. So that was the other part. You had someone loading the pockets and then you had someone who would catch it and stack it and then eventually you'd get a full pallet. You'd wrap that in shrink wrap and you'd move it around the warehouse. So at the end of this day, after working eight hard hours, I went home and I collapsed. Literally, I was cooked. I'd never worked so hard in my entire life. And on top of that, I met some of the strangest people I had ever met. 
There was this chick who worked there. Her name was Candy. And she spelled it probably the worst way you could ever spell candy. It was K-A-N-D-I. Candy. K-A-N-D-I. And within like an hour of knowing her, of meeting her, she told me her entire life story. About how she loved being in the army. And she lived in Korea. And how she loved everything about living in Korea. Including going to the bathroom outside. Why she was doing that, I don't know. I don't remember. I honest to God don't. But at 16, this woman was probably in her late 30s, early 40s. But it was like a hard late 30s, early 40s. Like, that woman had seen some hard times, man. And... She was very nice, very friendly with me. I came to find out later that she didn't get along with everyone, but okay. She was very nice to me. (laughs) And it was like, oh, fresh meat. Okay, here's my life story. Here's everything you need to know about me. She told me about her old man who uh, had like physical ailments and like her eyes were messed up and that's why she couldn't be in the army anymore, I think. I'm not really sure. She didn't seem like a real army type, but then again, what the hell do I know? What was weird was, so for these two weeks, I worked this shift. I got into a rhythm. I figured it out. We did the perfect binder. We had this like cutting thing. There was like a drill press that would do holes. So like sometimes we'd have three hole punch. Sometimes it would be a one hole. Any day that you get to work on the drill press was such an easy and wonderful day. And then we had the folder. So like uh, like a trifold brochure, there was a machine that would do this really, really fast. And essentially, if you're working the folder, someone with seniority would get to load it and make sure that it was fanned out properly. Because what you had to do is you had to lay this paper down and you had to make sure like it was fanned out in like roughly equal measure because otherwise the machine wouldn't load properly or you'd get a messed up fold. I obviously never progressed to that point where they trusted me to do that. So... <laughs> I would always just catch and stack and then do the shrink wrap and whatever. And then we had the saddle stitcher. And that was any magazine, you know, like Entertainment Weekly or People. And when I was there, they're like, it's not a staple. It's a stitch. I go, okay. So I used to make a point or I always thought I wanted to make a point to my friends where I'd go, you know, it's not actually a staple in there. And then I'd open up up, (laughs) like People magazine. I don't know why I was stuttering there. But I'd open up one of these magazines and it would be a staple. And I go, where are they getting this done? Like, the staple looks so tacky. And I I just picture someone, like, with a big stack of magazines just stapling them. And we used a saddle stitcher. So the way that worked was you had, you know, reams and reams of paper. And you'd have pages, like, one through four on one side. And then, like, 29 through 32 on the other. You know, that would be like the outside page. And then, you know, it would be like 5 through 8 and whatever, like uh, 25 through 29. And, you know, you'd lay them on top of each other and eventually then the stitch would go in the middle and you'd have a magazine. So setting up these machines, depending on how big the job was, was the work of the supervisors. And they'd make sure the machines were running optimally. It was just our jobs to sort of feed the paper into them. And that's what we did. But I got to the point where I got good enough at it to where I could do it with headphones. And I used to listen to 
KBPI during the day because Susie Wargen was the DJ. And she was great before she was on 9 News. And now I think she like sells real estate or something. But she used to do the midday menage a trois. She had Susie Stumper. It made the day go by really, really fast because Susie Wargen was a great DJ. And let's see, what year was this? 1998? Great year for rock, I think. I mean, there was a ton of stuff that I liked, and KBPI had a great playlist. Then I got switched to nights. And getting switched to nights I thought would be much better, but it sucked. I mean, what can you say? Mark, who was my supervisor during the day, was a really nice guy. Daryl, who was the overall supervisor, and who was specifically the night supervisor, a cocksucker. And someone that I hated and still think ill of to this day. I mean, what a dick. Fuck that guy. Everyone who worked there hated him. My sort of immediate supervisor was this guy, Jack. He was a nice enough guy. I liked him. He was like this short Latino guy. Daryl was this crusty old bearded white guy who made, they told me, like $22 an hour at the time. And he used to just sort of milk the overtime. So he was making like $33 an hour in 1998. That's nice money. And, you know, it was largely on the backs of the shit that we did. And I remember he'd come in, it would be like 1130 at night, and he'd be sitting there reading the paper. I'm like, you motherfucker. Like, just go home. But no, you're milking the clock for money, which I suppose is your right. But it's late at night. There's very few other people here. And fuck you, you know, eat shit. You fucking tall bastard. Fuck. Anyway. So, and Daryl didn't like us to wear headphones. So you basically had to work in a factory, loading these pockets in solitude. I mean, you could talk to your coworkers a little bit, particularly if it was a a very quick job or an easy job where two of you were catching. So you had people loading pockets. And then if you were on the other end catching, that was actually really nice because you could chat with each other and, You know, there wasn't a ton to talk about, but whatever. It was better than the alternative. So here's who else worked there. Jack was a nice enough guy. And he had what I thought at the time was a really good line for picking up women. Which was, he met this woman at this bar. And he said, you know, there's three things I really like about you. One, you're smart. Two, you're good looking. And three, and this is the most important thing, you know about golf. Because he was like way into golf. And working two to midnight, he could like play golf in the morning and then come in and do his job. And you work four days a week. And so he had plenty of time for golf, which was amazing that he liked golfing this much considering how fat he was. But anyway, regardless, that's neither here nor there. The dude loved golf. but he, that And that's not the good line. The good line that I thought he had was, you know – I'm accepting applications for a new girlfriend starting in six weeks, but I think I'll let you file one early. And when I'm like 16 years old, I go, holy shit, that's an amazing line. Jesus Christ, that's brilliant. Thinking on it now, I'm like, why is that brilliant? Like, that just kind of makes him seem like an asshole. But, you know, you're 16 years old, there's someone older than you. You tend to defer to what they do, what they say, what their experience is. And I'm like, man, that's a good line. I'm accepting applications for a girlfriend in six weeks, but you can file one early. I like you that much. Holy shit. Maybe it's that, well, okay, I don't need to dick and Jane this for you. You get why a 16-year-old would probably think that's a good line. 
I no longer think it is. But he was a good dude. I liked working with him. There was this chick, Alicia, who worked there. She was a mom of like three. She was really nice. She smoked a lot. Uh, there was the aforementioned Daryl the cocksucker. He was our supervisor. There was this guy, Nate, who worked there. And Nate was an interesting case because he, I think, had a lot of sort of menial jobs. And he seemed to have a pretty rough go of it. He was missing a tooth. It was like his lateral incisor. And the only reason I know which tooth it was, it's because it's the same one that Ed Helms is missing in the Hangover movie. And the only reason I even remember that, like, dude's missing a tooth. Why would that be a big deal? But I used to sit and talk with him during our breaks. And it makes sense to me now why I do this show and why I talk to as many people as I do. But I would just, like, ask him about what was going on. And as he would tell me, he was always smoking a cigarette. He'd smoke, like, two or three cigarettes per break. And I didn't smoke at the time, but I just hung out with all these smokers because I didn't care or whatever. He used to put the cigarette, like, where his tooth should have been. And it wasn't, like, obvious. He wouldn't, like, stick it in there and show it to me. Like, nothing like that. But you could tell that's where it went because I think ergonomically it was comfortable. And maybe it was a more efficient delivery advice device for smoke. I really don't know. I have all my teeth, so... But, yeah, no, you could tell that the cigarette was going where that lateral incisor used to be. And he would tell me things like, yeah, I'm excited to get paid because i gotta, I got to buy tickets next for uh, Jimmy Page and Robert Plant. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. Um, homeboy didn't have a bank account or anything. He used to just cash his check at the liquor store, which I think probably cost him a lot off the top. I mean, I suspect it did. I don't, you know. I certainly don't know because I've never cashed a paycheck at a liquor store before. But uh, he also wrecked his Bronco, his Ford Bronco, so he needed some body work done on that. But before he could pay to get that done, he had to get his uh, stereo out of the pawn shop. So, like, this job was valuable for a number of reasons, not the least of which it increased my humanity as this white, well-to-do kid who lives in Genesee, getting exposure to a whole different lifestyle that I never knew existed and sort of the real world and people who are like, I'm a, I'm a high school kid just sort of working for spending money. This dude lived off six fifty an hour. I mean, holy shit, right? Like that was eye-opening for me. I used to give him a ride home. He's like, no, I'll just run. I'm like, Nate, it's like 1230, dude. Like, and we're not in a great part of Denver. Like, let me give you a ride home. He's like, no, that's cool. And sometimes I'd give him a ride home. He'd let me. And, like, we forged this sort of bond. I I didn't see him after that summer. I mean, not the reason not least of which is I moved to Texas at the end of this summer. But regardless, I never forgot this guy. Because I'm like, that's a dude fucking grinding it out. I mean, holy shit. Like, what an eye-opening experience. He, however, was not my favorite guy who worked there. That was a toss-up between two guys. One was this old white guy named Charlie, who sounded just like John Wayne. So this was the summer of 98, and I can still picture Charlie asking me this, because the All-Star Game, the MLB All-Star Game, was in Denver that year. And it was the year that they were giving out Beanie Babies. This was the craze of Beanie Babies. And there was a special all-star game Beanie Baby called Glory. It was like this teddy bear. It was white. It had, you know, little stars on it. And uh, 
people were like offering cash for them from patrons coming out of the game. I think this one dude offered me like 500 bucks. And my mom would have really probably disowned me if I didn't come home with this beanie baby. So, and now I don't think it's worth anything. It's probably like 20 bucks. But I was telling Charlie about it. And, uh, you know, we went to the game. It was the longest game ever. I think it was like 13 to 8, the American League won. And it was like five hours long. But when I'm telling Charlie about it, Charlie goes, did you get a beanie baby? And I don't do a good John Wayne, but picture John Wayne asking if you got a beanie baby. It's, I mean, that'll put a smile on your face. It'll put a hop in your step the rest of the day. Did you get a beanie baby? And <laughs> uh, I said, yeah, Charlie, I did. Yeah, thank you. And then uh, so there was Charlie and there was this guy, Joe, too. Now, Joe worked on what was called the web. And I don't remember enough of printing terminology anymore to tell you what the web was, but I know it had to do with ink. And so Joe used to wear this tattered clothing because he knew he was going to be covered in ink every day. But Joe was a very, very dark skinned Latino guy. He had a thick, bushy black mustache. He had this sort of crazy black hair that was always all over the place. And his clothes were always like in tatters. Like he wore probably the shittiest stuff that he owned because it was all going to get covered in ink. Now, the other thing to know about Joe is he smoked constantly. I mean, this was factory work. All these people smoked all the time. Like, Daryl didn't, Jack didn't, but I think pretty much everyone else did. <laughs> Joe, because he was smoking constantly, and he used to roll his own cigars. And if you've ever seen someone who rolls their own cigars who's not very good at it, there is a little tattered, a little disheveled, a little akimbo. Joe would walk up. His hair's fucked up. He's covered in ink. And he's like smoke is just coming out of his orifices. He looks like a Looney Tunes cartoon who had just gotten blown up. Literally, every day I saw him, I thought, Joe looks like he just walked out of a cartoon where he was holding a big comical like black bomb that went off in his hands. That's what Joe looks like. And I loved looking at Joe. And Joe was funny too, man. He, uh, he used to wear his Walkman because other supervisors were less of cocksuckers than Daryl was. And uh, he'd be like, hey, listen to this tune, man. And I'd listen to it, and it was like nothing but accordions and trumpets and shit. I'm like, that's a solid track, bro. And he's like, yeah, I know. And he'd walk away, smoke coming out of him, covered in ink, just looking like a human explosion. What a day. God, what a fun guy to work with. I love that dude. Uh, again, haven't seen him since, but working this job, like I said, it really expanded my humanity and it really gave me an appreciation for what hard fucking work is because you're on your feet every day and you are doing work that is taxing, but mind numbing, literally picking up paper, putting it in pockets, do that again, 700 more times. That's your day. 10 hours a day. That's what you do. I drive home at midnight. I used to take my shoes off and I drive home barefoot because my heat, my feet hurt so fucking bad at the end of every single day. And I'd go home and I'd pass the fuck out. I was still on the swim team that year, which was a mistake and crazy because 
practice would be early in the morning and I would rarely make it to practice because I was so tired. I, I used to want to just sleep till like 11 o'clock or noon because this job was so hard. <laughs> and I was always secretly a little jealous of my friend Mike who ended up working at the movie theater that year. He didn't join me there. Uh, he went to the movie theater. He got free movies. He saw literally every movie that summer a bunch of times. And I thought, you bastard. You know, I'm killing myself in this factory while you're doing this. But here's the kicker of this story. On my last night there, it's me and Jack and Nate. Daryl, thank Christ, had gone home early for some reason. And Jack took it easy on us. Like, we shut down the machines early, but he's like, look, I'll clock you guys out later. You'll, you'll get a little extra overtime on this. I thought, wow, what a cool guy. And he said, when I found out you were going to come work for us, this 16-year-old kid, I thought, wow, his dad must be really smart. This is Jack telling me this. And I said, oh, yeah, why is that? And he said, because his dad knows that after working this job, using your muscles, standing on your feet, just killing yourself. We had these coupon books we had to do too. This was one of my last projects there. And every quarter they, they dreaded the coupon books because A, there were so fucking many of them. B, you had to put them in these mail trays that were really, really unpleasant to deal with. And C, your fingers would bleed. Like literally from between my thumb and my index finger, like, you know, where like your web is. That was just paper cuts all the way around. Just seriously, all up and down, all paper cuts. But for whatever reason, these coupon books and these mail trays, they used to make your cuticles bleed. There was something about the way you had to handle them that would just dig into your cuticles and all your cuticles would bleed. So literally like eight out of 10 fingers, your cuticles would be bleeding by the end of the night. It was horrible. It was, I think about it now and it gives me chills because it hurts so much. And there were so goddamn many of them. It was like three shifts in a row, 10 hours a night doing coupon books. And it was just pure misery. So that was right before I quit. So we're there at the last night. And he said, your dad must be smart. Because after working this job, you will never, ever drop out of school, will you? And not that I was a risk for that anyway. But I go, no. No, I won't. I don't want to do this. And he goes, you shouldn't do this, man. He's like, me and Nate work here, but we don't work here because we want to. We work here because we have to. Make it so you don't have to. And I thought, wow, dude. Like, that's a pretty powerful message. And that always stuck with me. I mean, again, I was really good at school and I liked school. But knowing that that was potentially waiting for me, if I ever chose to go, you know what? I don't think school's for me kept my ass going and pushed me to do things that I don't know, maybe I wouldn't have otherwise, but it was a valuable job. I'm intensely grateful for it. I never, ever want to go back and do it again. It's hard work. It's thankless work. It's hot in the factory. Your feet hurt. Your brain hurts. Your cuticles bleed. You get paper cuts all over your fingers, man. What a tough gig. And that is my very first job. So, with that said, let's play the outro music. John's Audio Resume, Volume 1, is now complete. Thank you for listening. What a fun project. I got another one coming up next week. 
the next job that I did, believe it or not, I was a door-to-door salesman for painting estimates. That is just as bad as it sounds. So we'll cover that one next week. Uh, stay up to date on all these episodes on johnofalltrades.us. That's J-O-N of alltrades.us. I'll have a special tab for John's audio resume. All the episodes will be found right there. Our sponsor is 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Anything you're doing on the web, whether you're building a website, building a campaign, doing some social media advertising, it's all available at 4Degrees. So they will help you do it. They will help you get in front of the audiences that need to see your message. They will do it for a great, great cost. The number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Deft is on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. We're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher. Give us a rating, give us a review. Just search John of All Trades, hit that subscribe button. Brand new episodes will come right to you. New episodes are previewed on Facebook on Mondays at J-O-A-T pod. New episodes drop on Wednesday. We're also on Twitter, Snapchat, and Pinterest, also at J-O-A-T pod. What else can I tell you? Thanks for being a part of the John of All Trades podcast. We'll see you back here next week for John's Audio Resume, Volume 2. And until then, say goodnight, crazy. That's good, Johnny.